I want to get into part three of grace period. Um, has, this, has this series been helpful to anybody other than me? Because this has been rocking my, my world, man. Um, the idea that we launched three weeks ago in this series, and next year I'm going to do like a 14-part series on grace because it's just, there's a lot to do. But, but the idea in this series is not that God gives us a grace period, like, like a period of time during which he gives us grace, and then after that we have to shape up or ship out. That's not what the series means, right? Some of us think of God that way, like, all right, I'm going to get... You know, I'm going to get a little grace period, but then I've got to get squared away. That's not what the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that God approaches us by grace, period, full stop, end of story. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. And some of us today need to understand what it means, what it feels like to experience God's grace in our life. Anybody need grace in your life ever? If you do not think you need grace, you need grace so much worse than you could possibly know. Um, the, the reality is we all need grace for big things or small things. I, I have, uh, my in-laws are in town this week. Um, Rebecca's parents, Phil and Rita, are in town, and um, we love having them. And, and I thought, uh, I, we thought it would be nice, Rebecca and I, a series of events led us to believe that it would be nice for us to take them out um, to a little place that we have in the country. We have, um, I'd like to call it a a lake house, but that's, that's a little bit of a, a stretch. It's a, it's a double wide trailer next to a pond. And um, I think it's really nice. And um, we thought about what we could call it, the ranch, not you know, um, the farm, not really. Um, so it is the pond structure is what we call it now, the pond trailer. Um, anyway, I love it. And um, the problem is um, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in the city most of the time, right? So this is somewhere we go every once in a while um, to, to get away. And so we decided to take them out there. And of course, it didn't occur to me, because I don't, you know, I don't go out there that often. It didn't occur to me that when we got there, um, that we would have trouble uh, with heat, with a heat situation. Um, I don't know if you remember, but on Friday night, it was a little chilly. Um, it's pretty nippy on Friday night. And so we get out there and we, we were, we had an event earlier. So we got out there at like 1030 at night, 11 o'clock at night, we go in and there's no heat. There's no heat. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, heat. Um, what was I supposed to do to ensure that there would be heat in the pond trailer? And, uh, and I was like, okay, Rebecca says it's not a trailer. She's going to, she's, she won't let me call it a trailer for the rest of pond home house, pond structure. And, um, and long story short is, I'm like, wait, it's not electric, huh? It's not gas, huh? Oh, there's a propane tank behind the house that is designed to heat the facility. And, um, and it never occurred to me that I had to get propane and put it in the tank. Like, it just did not occur to me that we needed to do that. So at about 11.30 last night, we figured it out. We went out to the propane tank behind the structure and we looked at the valve and it said, no propane. So long story short, um, we treated our parents, uh, Rebecca's parents, to a very seedy hotel um, at about 11.30 at night, uh, Friday night, um, out in the country uh, where um, it was less than, let's just say it wasn't luxurious. Let's just put it that way. So I say all that to say, I needed a little grace this weekend. Um, and my parent, you know, this, this is grace. My father-in-law gets up the next morning. We're at like Denny's or somewhere. He's like, 
I'm having a good time. This is pretty great. And I'm like, that's grace right there. That is grace. Grace is what you need when you have not done something quite right, when you haven't done something well, and somebody says, I still accept you, right? What God is saying to us in this series, what he's been saying to us, is that I extend my grace to you, meaning I am giving you favor and benefit and blessing that you do not deserve because of my love for you. It's not because you've done it all right. It's because I am leaning in towards you and I'm giving you grace. Now, the problem with the idea of grace is the problem that we have with any idea if we think of it only in the abstract. If you think of grace only in the abstract, it's very difficult to get a sense in your mind of what grace means because grace is inherently something that you experience in relation to another person. You cannot experience grace on your own, right? If I were to tell you, if I were to talk to you about the concept of love, the only way you would understand that concept is in relation to somebody else, either because you have extended love to somebody or you have received love from somebody, right? Otherwise, it's just an abstraction. It's the same with affection. If I talk to you about affection, the only way you understand what I'm talking about is the way that you have either had affection or received affection from somebody else. You've either extended it or received it, right? It's the same with forgiveness. If I talk to you about forgiveness, you don't understand what I'm talking about. The only way you understand forgiveness, or I understand forgiveness, is if I've received it when I needed it, or I've extended it when somebody else has needed it, right? So, so when we talk about grace, as I was praying and thinking about it, and I, wanna, I really want to bring it home for you this week, I was thinking about grace. I'm thinking, how can I draw it out and explain it to you in a way that you really fully grasp what it is? And that's when it hit me. Jesus was trying to communicate grace to a group of believers and non-believers just like this. And the way he communicated it was not in the abstract. He didn't create a systematic theology around grace. He told a story. He told a story about a relationship. And the story was about a relationship between a father and two of his sons. And what I want to do today, this is a story that all of you know. You can probably quote it. What I want to do to you today is I want to read the story that Jesus, that Jesus told to his followers. And then I want to talk to you about what he's saying in this story that allows us to deeply understand and experience the concept of grace and how it impacts you and how it impacts me. So it's going to start from Luke 15. I'm going to go through a boatload of scripture. So stay with me, read along uh, silently. Here, here we go. Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, let's just pause right here. Let's just pause for just a second because I want you to get that. The younger son says to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Let me just tell you, this is not an interrogatory sentence. This is not a, Father, if it please thee, may I perhaps break off a little bite of what you were planning to give to me after you died so that I could have... No, this is not a question. This is an imperative statement. Dad, give me my share of the estate. Now, I don't know how that strikes you, if any of you have kids. Um, but that strikes me as, like if my, I love my sons very, very much. But if either of them said that to me, I would not have a generous response in mind to that statement, right? Because what that statement says, first of all, there's a level of entitlement that just makes you crazy, 
right? He's saying, give me my share of the estate. Well, actually, it's not your share of the estate until dad dies. So when you are claiming it as mine, when you are saying that's mine, what you are saying is, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I don't need you. I need what's owed me after you're dead, and I want it now, meaning I don't care whether you're alive or dead. I want my share of the estate. So the young son comes out with this straight out of the gate, right? The hearers that were there that Jesus was talking to would not have been surprised if the next line was there. And then the father took the son, whooped him upside the head and told him to get back in the field and get to work. But that's not what Jesus said. It says, Jesus said, so the father divided the property between the sons. Whoa. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had for a far distant country. And watch this. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Wild living. This young guy was wild. And when you're wild, you just spin stuff. You just get rid of stuff. Stuff just goes away. Because wild people just spin things, right? So in just a few short months after this young man had demanded and received and taken his share of the estate, everything that he had was gone. If he had a cloak or a coat that his father had given him as a young man, he would have had to have sold that. That's gone. If he had any jewelry, that's gone. That's, that's, that's gone. That's, he's, he's already he's been to the pawn shop in the Gentile country, and he's, he's, he's gotten rid of all that. In fact, we learn later in the story that the young, that the young son, uh, by, by the time he got done out there squandering his wealth and wild living, he didn't even have shoes. He, he literally had sold his shoes. He went down to, 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 to Avalon Exchange and, and, and he said, you know, I feel like these are good shoes. Can I get $18 for these? And they were like, well, but the resale is like 80% of what. So anyway, you're going to get $4, $4 for these. So anyway, so he gave, he gave the shoes. He had nothing left. Nothing left. He had squandered. He had poured it all out in wild living in no time at all. And then it got worse. It went from bad to worse. It says, after he had spent everything, after everything was gone, there was a severe famine in that whole country. So it went from like, I don't have anything to like, nobody has anything, right? A severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Now let me just pause a minute all right, pig farming in the United States is like, okay, that's okay. You know, pig farming, that's all right. But when a Jewish rabbi is telling this to a Jewish audience about a Jewish boy, what he's saying is he went into Gentile unclean territory and he took the uncleanest job of any unclean job possible because, you know, as, as observant Jews, they would have never touched swine. You don't eat pork. You don't eat bacon or pork chops. It's just, it's just not done. So what he's saying is this kid went to a level below low. He was under low. He was down so low that it looked, you know, down looked up to him. This kid was down in the hole. And then it got worse. The young man longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would even give him that. This kid was willing to eat swine, no problem. He was actually willing to eat the swill that the swine eat. Like he was so down that it is the worst. Jesus is saying this dude was messed up. 
He messed himself up. And then when other people got messed up, it messed him up even more. This guy was at the end of his rope. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, every once in a while, every once in a while, when we hit that rock bottom point in our life, we have that moment of clarity where we go, man, this is not working. He came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, and I think he meant this, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Yes, you have. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. Dad, if you would have mercy to just hire me as a servant, I would be, I would be satisfied. So he got up and went to his father. And this is where it gets really good in the story. The scripture says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His father ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You you know why the father ran to him? You know why the father knew to run to him when he was a far distance? Because the father had been looking for him. The father always had his eyes on the horizon going, where is that boy? Where is he? I want him back. And when he saw him from a far way off, the father ran after him, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And then it says, the son said to the father, he gave him his speech that he had just rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now the hearers in the first century would have been like, yes, he's right. He's not worthy to be called your son. You know, he took your money, he took your reputation, he took your family dignity, he carved up the estate, he messed everything up, and then he went and blew it, and then he got in a bad position, now he wants to come back, and he's saying he's not worthy to be your son, and he's right. He's not worthy to be your son. His resume is liar, thief, lazy, good for nothing, run around, like that's your resume, and you're coming to me with that resume to get hired, right? Can I just work for you? Well, what have you been doing? What's, what, what have you been doing for work for the last, you know, few months? Well, I've been trying to get some slop from some pigs to eat. That's what I've been doing. But the father said to his servants, verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he is Found, So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years, I, I, get, I get the older brother here. I get him. All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You're killing the fattened calf for him. I've been in here serving you and slaving away out in the fields for you all this time. And you haven't done anything for me. But when this son of yours, I like how he calls him this son of yours. You ever do that? Like really early in the morning when the kids are crying, that daughter of yours, baby, needs some attention. That son of yours, uh, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf, and you have a party for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. This is what he says to the older son. 
You're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We have to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Today, for just the next few minutes, I want to preach on the five gifts of grace. The five gifts of grace. Because what Jesus is telling us in this story, what he's telling us in this story, is that he wants to have an intimate understanding of what grace means when the Father extends it to you and to me. So let me, gun, I'm going to run through this, all right? In this story, um, each thing that the Father conveys to the Son has a meaning. So we see very early on in the story, right when the Father sees the Son, it says this in, in verse 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his Son, threw his arms around him, and Somebody say kissed. Kissed him. Now, a kiss can mean a lot of different things in different contexts. Um, I remember the first time, if I can tell this, which I haven't gotten permission for, but we're already kind of flowing in the flow of the sermon. Um, I remember the first time I kissed Rebecca. It was on our first date. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. It's... Um, but I had known her for a while. Um, she, was, she was flying to L.A., and I was in Arizona at that time, and we had been talking and emailing, and, uh, and uh, she was on her way to California, and she had a layover in Phoenix, and so she called me and said, hey, I'm going to be stopping off in Phoenix. But I mean, we hadn't gone on any dates. We hadn't even seen each other in years. And uh, so I'm going to be stopping over in Phoenix, you know, and I've got a layover. Um, if you live near the airport, come by, you know, we'll hang out. This is when you could go to the terminal, you know, go down this thing. And so, um, so I was like, oh yeah, I live right by the airport, 45 minutes. And it was just like, not that far. And um, so, man, I, I, I literally, I got a call like a couple hours. I got a haircut. I bought a new shirt. Um, I, thank you. I, um, I actually bought some boots, which are really weird. Like I should never, it was their weirdest boots, but they actually gave me a little lift. You know, they gave me like a little extra. And so anyway, so she calls them man heels. Um, so anyway, I get all together and we go to the airport and I can't tell you the whole story too long, but anyway, we go there and here we are. And like, I'm going to take her out. This is our date. And there's a Chili's right there in the airport terminal in Phoenix, Sky Harbor. And I'm like, let's go to Chili's right on a date. So I didn't say a date, but it was for me. I don't know if it was for her. But anyway, we go to Chili's. We have some quasi-Mexican food. We come walking back out to get her to, the, uh, to her airplane. And we're walking down the terminal. And I thought, now's the time. <laughs> Apropos of nothing. I, I like kind of do one of these. And I swoop in front of her. <laughs> and I just gave her a kiss. Just kind of swooped up there and gave her a kiss. Um, now, what my kiss was trying to communicate is... I am not interested in uh, friend zoning with you. I'm interested in having a romantic relationship with you. So I'm just putting this out there because if you want me in the friend zone, I'm going to clear that up right now just so you know where I'm at and then you can let me know where you're at. And here's how you would let me know you're at. If she went like, oh, hey, right? That would have communicated something to me. It would have said, step out, step aside. We're not there. But she didn't. This is getting too intimate. But she kissed me back. Kiss me back. And what her kiss back, because you know, never mind. What it, what it means, 
what it means, what, what it meant was, I accept your advance. That's what it meant. It meant, I'm also interested in you, and I accept that you are conveying this information to me. And then we got engaged about three months later and then married just a few months after that. So it worked. So um, I'm not saying it works for everybody. I'm just saying it worked for me. Um, in the Bible, we don't see a lot of that kind of kissing. We see some of that kind of kissing, romantic kissing, like Song of Solomon. If you, there's a lot of that actually in there and more. Um, uh, Psalms has got some kissing like that. But most of the time in the Bible, when it's talking about kissing, a kiss, it's a kiss like this. It's a kiss that indicates acceptance. That's what the kiss means in the Bible. When, when a father kisses the son, when the father in this story leaned over and kissed him, it meant, I accept you. Here's how we know. Because you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph is in uh, Egypt. Joseph's brothers have betrayed him. They, they, they put him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. They uh, tore his robe. They dipped it in the blood. They told his dad that he was dead. They did all these atrocities towards him. Years later, they came back needing food. Joseph had been raised to the, to the second highest person in all of, Israel, or all of Egypt. They came to him, if you know the story, and they, and they didn't recognize him. They said, we need food. We're starving. He recognized them. They didn't recognize him right? What he could have said is, get out of here. You guys sold me into slavery. You want food from me? But look what it says in Genesis. It says this, Joseph kissed his brothers, Genesis 45, 15, kissed his brothers and wept over them. In other words, what he's saying and indicating to them is, I'm your brother that you sold into slavery. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve to be in prison at least. But not only do I accept you, I'm going to give you grain. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to extend courtesy to you. I'm going to extend grace. I'm leaning towards you. I'm going to give you all of it. That's all, that's all stated in a kiss. It means I accept you. One more example, 1 Samuel 10, when Samuel the prophet is ordaining and anointing King Saul, it says Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you rule over his inheritance? In other words, God has accepted you as king. And I'm showing you this. I'm sealing it with a kiss. I'm showing you that God has accepted you. If you want to understand the first gift of grace, please write this down if you're taking notes. I am unconditionally accepted by God and welcomed into his presence. I am unconditionally accepted by God. Notice when the kiss happens. The kiss doesn't happen after the son has cleaned up his act. The kiss doesn't happen after the son has straightened out his sins. The kiss doesn't happen after he's demonstrated his willingness to serve and work. The kiss happens right when, he, right when he's still a far way off. God is saying to somebody, somebody needs to hear this. You're accepted by God. You are unconditionally accepted by God in the state that you're in right this moment. Right this moment. The state that you are in, God gives you the divine kiss to say, I accept you. That's what grace is. I accept you in your current state right now before you've done anything. Not acceptable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept you before you're acceptable. That's what grace means. Okay, moving on. Next thing. The father said to his servants in verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The kiss means acceptance. The robe means identity. Identity. So there used to be a practice, I don't know if they still do this, but back when I was in high school, um, in, the, in, the, in the late 1800s, they, uh, when you, if you had like a letterman's jacket, some of you will know what I'm talking about, but like if you had a letterman's jacket, like if you were played, played sports or whatever, and then you let uh, a girl that you liked wear that letterman's jacket, 
then what that was, was that was identity. That was basically saying she's with me, right? That's saying like, we're together. This is the case in all kinds of circumstances. If you're, you know, when, when kids are in gangs, when young people are in gangs, they wear gang colors because that signifies identity, right? So, uh, some of y'all have jerseys on today, right? Because you're going to go down and watch some football, right? Nobody, no Patriot jerseys? Are we good? Okay, good. Um, so what that means is I identify with that team, right? If I wear a St. Louis Cardinals hat, I identify with that. If I'm a, a motorcycle gang, I've got the patches, right? So what the robe means is identity, identity. That means that I am affiliated. So when, when the father puts his robe on him, he's saying he's with me just so that everybody knows he's with me. I protect him. He's with me. I love him. Uh, we see this in the scripture when the prophet Elijah passed on his identity to Elisha. First Kings nineteen nineteen. Here's the example. Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around him. This is where we get the term taking the mantle, right? Because the robe means identity. Write this down. This is the second gift of grace. I am intimately identified with God and protected by his power. This is what grace means. When Jesus tells the story of the father throwing his cloak around the son, he's saying, this is what grace is. It's you are identified with the father. Isaiah put it like this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He clothes you, somebody get with me on this grace. He clothes you with his righteousness before you deserve to be clothed with his righteousness. You are not righteous when you are clothed with righteousness. He throws the robe over him while, before he's even taken a shower. He's still stinky from the pig pen and the father goes, let me put my cloak on you because you are with me and I want everybody to know you are mine. You are with me. You're part of my estate. You're part of my inheritance. You're my child. God is trying to convey to somebody today in your stinky, messed up, pig-eaten state that, God, that you are part of his, that you're his. This is what the gift of grace is. The apostle Paul put it like this, put off your old self, take off the old garment, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your heart and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? This is what it means. It means to put on your identity transforms before your activity transforms. Somebody write that down. Your identity transforms before your activity transforms. The robe conveys a new identity. Behold, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Not, you're not, it's not that you're doing new things yet. It's that you are a new creature because you just took on Christ's identity. Are you with me this morning? All right. So he puts the robe on. All right, son. Okay, here we go right? Now that's conveys something. This says you're mine, right? If I win the masters in golf, they're going to put a green jacket on me. Don't worry. I will never wear a green jacket. I'll never have a green jacket. I can't golf, but, but that's what it conveys, right? If you're in the tour de France, they put the yellow Jersey on you. That means that signifies your identity. You're the winner. So now he's got a jacket, right? You're mine. You're mine. And then the next verse, it says, uh, not only did he put his robe on him, it says he put a ring on his finger. Okay? So the father says, okay, here, go get my ring and put it on his finger. Put my ring on his finger. What does the ring indicate? Okay, the kiss means he was accepted. The robe means he's identified with God. The ring means authority. The ring means authority. 
I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, why, why it means that. Because in this day and age, in this time, the ring that the father had was basically a signet ring. So it had his symbol on there, okay? And then if there was a, a legal document that needed to be rolled up and sealed with a little bit of wax, then the father would put his ring in that wax and it would have his seal. And that would mean this is approved, right? I said this. So when the father gives the son the ring, he's saying, I'm giving you power of attorney. You can sign documents for me. Now, I would not give a son that had just taken all my stuff, ran and squandered it. I would not have given him a, my signature block. I would not have conveyed power of attorney to him, right? I would not have given him my stamp of approval. But this father says, as soon as you became identified with me, I'm giving you my ring. Now you can act on my behalf. You have authority, my authority, right? You have, here's how we see it. We see this all through the scripture. Um, in Genesis 41, Pharaoh... Put his, uh, took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. We see this, and this is a conveyance of authority. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in a chariot, second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Then he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. That's authority, and the ring indicates authority. In the book of Esther, same thing. It says, Esther in 8.2, the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. It's a ring of authority. So what Jesus is saying to somebody today, you're not only accepted, you're not only identified with him, you are authorized to act on behalf of God. Write this down. I am fully authorized by God to carry out his purpose. This is what it means. This, this is the gift of grace. This is what Jesus is conveying to you and me in this story. I remember the first time I got a job, um, my first job as an attorney, one of the things they gave to me, like at the training, this is very surprising. They gave me a company credit card. Company credit card. And I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? And they're like, well, this is for you to take out, you know, potential clients if you want to develop, you know, book a business or whatever. I'm like, so like I can just take this credit card and just go out and spend stuff like, yeah, you can take, you can take people out. And then, you know, and I'm like, well, how much, how much can I spend? Right. I mean, like, can I take, like who qualifies? They're like, it's your discretion. You're authorized. I mean, I pushed them on this. I'm like, but how much, how much can I spend? Cause I don't want to get in trouble, but I do want to use it. If you're saying I can use it. They're like, we'll let you know if you get out of line. <laughs> really? And I had authority at that point, to go and spend money on behalf of the company that I worked for, because I was authorized by that. God is saying to somebody today, you're authorized as my child to go and fulfill the purpose that I have placed on your life. You are authorized to live out the life that I've called you to live. Don't continue to live in the shadow. Some of us, we get saved or we get, we get, you know, we get restored, and then, but we're afraid to step out because we're just afraid that we don't have what it takes. Now, we're still living in the mindset of being a servant or even being in the pigsty. And he's going, no, you're authorized. You're, you're able to step out and take charge and be who I've called you to be. You're authorized by God to carry out his purpose. Okay, it's, it's almost to the end here because this is when it gets even better. The next verse says, and put sandals on his feet. Put sandals. Okay, he gave him a kiss. This is acceptance. He gave him a robe. This is identity. He gave him a ring. This is authority. Now, this is going to be very interesting to you. Ready? Here's what sandals means. Ruth 4, 7 says this. Now, in earlier times, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal 
and gave it to the other party. This was the method for legalizing, legalizing transactions in Israel. You see, when Jesus says the father gave his sandal to the son, he's trying to tell you something about grace. Write this down if you're taking notes. I am wholly redeemed as an heir of God, and I, have, I am the beneficiary of his provision. This is what the sandal means. It means, listen, you came with nothing, and I'm going to give you my sandals, and what this is going to convey to you is that you are redeemed and that you have access to my provision. I have redeemed you, and you are the beneficiary and the heir of my provision. Here's what the scripture says. Your feet, Ephesians 6, 15, are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You're accepted, you're identified, you're authorized, you're redeemed, and then here's the grand finale. Are you ready? What's the last thing he gave him? Luke 15, 23, the father said this. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast. The fattened calf means celebration, right? It means he's having a party. Let me show you what this means. Okay, bring me my, bring me my platter. Bring me my platter. This is the very end here. Here we go. There you go. Come on, boys. There you go. Right up those stairs. Nice. Here we go. Ready? Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> wow. You're hired. All right. So what he said is, you're accepted. I've given you my kiss. I want you to know you're identified with me. This is the boy that did nothing to deserve any of this. this you're, you're identified with me, right? Now you've got my signet ring on. You're authorized to act on my behalf. You've got my shoes on. This means I've redeemed you and that you're the beneficiary of my estate, right? I restored you as an heir. And then he says, I'm gonna, I am throwing a feast for you. I am going to kill the fatted calf, which means I'm going to be lavish, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to have a party for you. We're going to celebrate, right? And this, this, this young man, this prodigal who had been out living wild, spent everything, gets to come home. And man, I'm telling you. Amen. I mean, it's lavish. I mean, it is. The food of the gods are being, this is what it means. Oh, I know some of y'all are taking pictures, aren't you, right now? What he's saying, you, I'm in a better seat than all of you guys right now. I'll just tell you that. What he's saying is, listen, I'm, I'm fully restoring you. You wanted, you wanted to, you wanted, you were afraid to, to, to you couldn't even get the slop from the pigsty. I'm going to go out and kill the best animal that I have. I'm going to feed it to you, and we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate for you. Somebody needs to understand what grace means today. All I'm trying to do is convey to you what grace actually means. And what it means is you are accepted by God. In your current state, you are accepted by God even though you are unacceptable to God. You got that? Unacceptable to God and yet accepted by Him. That's what it means. You are identified with God. You are His. Your primary identity is with Him. All of your other identities are sub subordinate to that I identity. I am primarily God's child. Everything else about me is subordinate to that reality. I am authorized by God to act on behalf of God 
As a child of God, I'm an emissary. I'm a witness. I'm a person who has been called to go out and do what God has called me to do. And I'm authorized to do that. That's what grace means. And it means I'm redeemed. It means that I have been given, that I have been shod with the, with, the, with the gospel of peace. My feet have been shod with the gospel. I've been redeemed. I've been restored. I've been whole. And you know what? Ultimately, I'm being celebrated by God. You are being celebrated by God. He's saying, I am so happy to do this. Don't come groveling to me as if like, I'm not happy to do this. I want to kill the fatted calf. I'm not trying to like pull back. The, the, it ends up the father is prodigal in the sense that the father is lavish. The father is willing to pour it all out for this son who doesn't deserve it. I'm ending with this. Earlier this week, I read this entire story to my two youngest children, Augustine and Eden, who I can still talk about freely because they're in one family kids upstairs. I read it to them without commentary. I just read them the whole story. And then I turned to them and I said, so guys, what do you think about this story? Without hesitation, Augustine, seven years old, furrowed brow, has been listening very intently. He goes, it's not fair. It's not fair. The whole thing's not fair. And Eden's like, yeah, it's not fair. Eden's five. She's kind of following him, but I think she also thought it wasn't fair. I go, what do you mean it's not fair? Augustine goes, okay, the, the, the older guy is out there working the whole time, doesn't even get a goat, doesn't get a party, doesn't get anything. The young guy is out there like spinning everything, going crazy, acting wild, comes back and gets a party. That's not fair. Like it's obviously not fair. Like how else could you read that story? So for a minute, I'm trying to talk him through the theology of it. Yeah, but you understand, but God's grace is blah, blah, blah. Right? They're just looking at me like, you're crazy, dude. It's not fair. And then it hit me. They're right. It's not fair. Actually, that's the whole point. The whole point is, you get benefits that you don't deserve. I get blessing and favor that I don't deserve. That's not fair. But I'll take it. I'll take it. And the reason I'll take it is because I know I need it. You don't receive grace if you don't think you need it. You only receive and enjoy, and enjoy the benefits of grace if you understand how desperately you need it. And the reason we know this is the older brother comes and goes, this isn't fair, right? It's interesting the phrase he uses. I've been slaving out in the fields for you this whole time. You see, the older brother... <laughs> The younger brother came back and said, if I could only be a servant, right? He, he, he understood his identity as if I could only reach that level of a servant. The older brother said, I've been a servant for you. I've been a slaving for you this whole time. See, he didn't understand his relationship with the father either. He thought that he was going to win his estate from his father by slaving in the fields long enough and when dear old dad passes on, then I'll get my piece carved out because I've shown him how much I deserve it. That's what he believes. They're both lost. Only one of them knows it. That's the problem. That's the problem. And Jesus is talking to a group of people like us. Some of us know how lost we are. Some of us know how bad we need God's grace. Others of us are saying, this is a great sermon for somebody else. I can't wait to forward this to my friend who's deplorable and, right? 
right? <laughs> are some of you actually thinking that? Probably are. Um, but man, I, some sinners need to hear this, right? No, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. Because I can get, I can be either brother at any time of day. Any time of day, I can either be like, God, thank you, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or I can be like, what's the matter with these people? Get your act together. What's the problem with you? Right? I've been doing the right thing. You haven't. So square it up and maybe you can arise to my level. Right? That's what the older brother's saying. Right? And God's going, you're both crazy. You need my grace. I want to give it to you. And, and what the father says, I'm gonna, I promise I'm closing. What the father says to him is he goes to the older brother. He says, you've been with me the whole time. Everything I have is yours. See, you're the beneficiary of all this. You have my robe. You have my ring. You have my kiss. You have my shoes. You have my food. You have everything that you need from me right now. It's all yours. It's all yours, but you just won't receive it because you're so tied up and how good you are and how hard you're working to get my love. And don't you know, you got my love. You already got it. It's already there. I want you to get this, and I'm, I promise, I'm just going to pray and just close. You guys, listen, you need God's grace. Let me just tell you, you do. I need God's grace. And the sooner we go, oh my God, thank you for your grace. The sooner we stop striving and fighting and, you know, judging and sinning and all of the ends of the spectrum, right? Because we suddenly go, oh my God, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you, God. Thank you for, for giving me that that acceptance, that divine kiss of acceptance. Thank you for robing me with the, your robes of righteousness, not mine, right? And identifying me with you. Thank you for authorizing me to live out the life and fulfill the purpose that you've placed on me. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for redeeming me and restoring me and making me the, an heir of your grace and the, and the beneficiary of your spiritual gifts. Thank you for doing that, right? And ultimately, gosh, thank you for celebrating me. All of the angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner comes home. That's what Jesus said. They all go, wow, right? They just celebrate. Thank you for celebrating me because they've all celebrated me. They've all celebrated you. If you've ever had that moment where you go, God, I need you, they celebrated you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close with this. And I want to invite, we're going to pray because all of these sermons on, on grace end with you doing nothing other than receiving. And what I want you to do now is I want you to pray a prayer of receiving. So let, let, let's bow our heads, both campuses, online, everywhere. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's receive His grace. Father, thank You for giving us what we don't deserve. Thank You for the unfairness of the way You have treated us. Thank You for leaning towards us with Your grace. Thank You for pouring out Your kindness. Thank You, God, for leaning in leaning, being disposed towards us, leaning towards us with affection and grace and love and mercy. Thank you for extending that to us. God, I pray for every single person here right now who is literally standing before you, rotten to the core and saying, if I could only be a servant, if you could only break me off a little teeny blessing, and you're saying, I, you, you've got it all. You're all mine. And, and I pray, Lord God, that all of the, us that are here that are the religious types that are going, man, thank God I'm not a sinner like those guys. Thank God I've been working out here in the fields trying to make sure that I'm doing it all squared away so that someday I'll get my slice of pie in heaven. 
we'll, we'll break down and we'll go, oh my God, thank you for your grace because I don't deserve it either. God, I pray for every single person here, every person who hears this sermon, everybody in the sound of my voice right now, God, I pray that each and every one of us would receive an outpouring of your love, of your mercy, of your kindness, and of the generosity of your grace. And I pray that, Lord, it would not only fill us, but it would pour out of us and extend to everybody we meet and everybody we see. To your praise, to your honor, and to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, 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 everybody. Amen. Next week, we launch a new series called A Picture Perfect Christmas. I really, really hope you come to that. We're starting the Advent season, uh, and it's going to be an absolutely beautiful, um, beautiful season for us at the church. I do want you to know here at the Tivoli, we're going to go to two services in January. So I know it's getting crowded in here in the last few weeks has been cramped, um, but we're going to start uh, two services in January. So we'll have some flow there. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, um, I want to invite you to, to respond to this message in, uh, in, in a number of different ways. One of the ways that you can respond is just um, click on that or scan that QR code uh, right here on the screen or in the back of your chair. If you need to communicate with us, if you want to get baptized, if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to register for the football watching party or you can just come down. Um, actually, if you need a ride, we had a lot of people that need rides. If you need a ride to that, uh, event you want if you're a college student or whatever you need a ride um, just email us at info at onefamilychurch.com we'll, we'll scramble here at the, and, and find some rides for you I think we're also buying a church van at some point praise God all right um, okay so let us know whatever you need on that QR code another way to respond is through your generosity through your giving you guys the beyond campaign has gone crazy um, it's amazing you guys have been incredibly generous thank you for that um, I won't go into details but you know that we're, we're our Beyond uh, initiative is, is raising over $5.4 million, which I announced last week. And just so you know, like over three quarters of a million dollars has already come in for that campaign. Thank you for your generosity. Awesome. Um, so we invite you to participate through your giving. You can do that online. Uh, you can do it on that QR code. Uh, you can sign up to give a recurring. Um, if you need prayer, our prayer team's in the side auditorium. You can go and have them take you by the hand and pray with you. There's also communion in that side auditorium. You can go over there, take communion. Um, but we just want you to participate and, and engage in whatever way you can. Would you all stand with me as we close out this sermon series today? I want us to end today with opening our hearts, opening our mouths, and rejoicing with God in worship as we sing one final song.